The following is a Red Apple Podcast Network presentation. They say this is a big, rich town. I just come from the poet's part. Bright like city life, I gotta make it. Welcome to Dominic Carter's podcast. This is Dominic Carter's City Hall. Now, here's Dominic Carter. Hello, friends. Dominic Carter, Red Apple Media 77 WABC. You can listen to me live Monday through Friday on the radio, midnight to 1 a.m. If you join me, I promise to bring it. You can listen from around the country and the world at www.wabcradio.com. I have not done much about something we are seeing constant headlines about. The situation at Rikers Island, the Department of Correction for New York City. But that changes right here, right now. Rikers wasn't on my radar screen because my thought process generally was, if you committed the crime, do the time. But it's important to remember, prisoners at Rikers are only accused of a crime. They have not been convicted. More and more these days, Rikers is being looked at as a death sentence. The violence, negligence, drugs, mismanagement, untreated medical conditions going unnoticed amid dysfunction in the jail system. The feds taking over of Rikers Island may not be the worst thing that can happen. Here's what we know. Routine medical tests for inmates mandated under city law, have simply been ignored by correction officials, at least in the past, causing hundreds of detainees to go without basic medical services each month. The mayor, Eric Adams, has downplayed the death toll, noting that many detainees were already sick once they arrived in the city's care. Bullet point. Staff absences of correction officers plunged Rikers Island into disorder. City council members have blasted correction officials for not being able to answer simple questions, such as staffing levels at city jails, medical wait times, and more. The commissioner of the agency, Louis Molina, says these days more officers are returning to work now that the pandemic has eased up with the absentee rate going down. A recent example, the absentee rate of correction officers stood at 19 percent, which is down from 30 percent. But think about that. That's almost 20 percent of the workforce not showing up. A court-ordered federal monitor overseeing the city's jails found not only pervasive violence within these facilities, but said they were also blocked from gaining access to staffing levels. The situation at Rikers and how do you deal with it? Joining me now is someone that knows the system inside and out like the back of his hand, Stanley Richards, who is the deputy chief executive officer of the Fortune Society, an advocacy group, a nonprofit based in New York City with a mission 
to support successful reentry from prison. The Fortune Society helps with housing and a number of issues that may arise. Mr. Richards does a lot of great work. And thank you for joining me for the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dominique. Of course. So the the numbers are staggering and serious. In 2021, 16 people died while in the care of the Department of Corrections. And so far this year, we are outpacing that, where 11 people have died in the custody of correction. That's not just Rikers, including two in the space of a week in July. Why is this happening? It's a very sad situation. You know, I was first deputy commissioner at the New York City Department of Corrections, and I can tell you every death that we experienced was a tragic and horrific situation. People are detained into the custody and care of the Department of Correction while they get their cases adjudicated. It is the expectation of society and the rules of our laws that says that person is presumed innocent until proven guilty. And many of the people being detained on Rikers Island have not been proven guilty of anything. They just have not been able to afford bail and haven't been released. And so we have a situation where our New York City Department of Corrections has really become an institution that deals with all of the ills of society. We see over 50% of the people who are incarcerated on Rikers Island have mental illness. A significant portion have, are homeless, have substance abuse, and all of the issues that we are dealing with as a Department of Corrections, as opposed to dealing with it by providing services and getting people the treatment that they need. And it is a perfect storm, a situation where officers aren't trained to be clinicians and providers. We have a system that was designed to punish people. And Rikers is not a place of where people serve long sentences. It is a place where people are supposed to get their cases adjudicated. And so it is a perfect storm of dysfunction. It's a perfect storm of trauma. And it is a perfect storm where the department itself just creates perpetual hurt. Officers hurt, non-uniform people who work on the island hurt, people who are incarcerated hurt, and family members hurt. And it is time for us as a society to say enough is enough. We are not going to do it. What we've learned over the last decades is that we could have lower number of people incarcerated, safer communities, and provide alternatives for people to get the mental health services that they need, substance abuse treatment that they need, and access to stable housing. Mr. Richards, let me let me ask you this, because you, you have a very unique expertise here. You served on the oversight board for the jail system. The Obama administration named you a champion of, of change. And yet you were also formerly incarcerated yourself. You and I are each natives of the Bronx. Yes. And and you spent two and a half years on Rikers in the 80s before serving four and a half years of a nine-year prison sentence. Sure. So from from your unique perspective talk to me please because i'm trying to understand what's going on about the solutions how do we get out of the mess that we're in right now with rikers well it takes 
huge investments, and we have to focus on the driving causes of incarceration, and that is some of our criminal justice policies we need to fundamentally change. We need to make community investments to allow people to be diverted and and engaged in services. We need to deal with the mental health crisis we're having in our communities. We need to deal with the homeless crisis we're dealing with in our community, and we need to deal with the disproportional impact of economic or lack of economic opportunity in some of the hardest hit communities in New York City. At Fortune Society, we see about 9,000 people a year. Over 50% of our staff are people with justice impacted. 30% of our executive team are people with justice impact. And so we know if we provide the right services, we make the right investments, we can turn this around. Rikers Island doesn't have to be a stain on our city. It could turn around but it takes huge investments, and it's not an investment over two years or three years. It took generations for us to get to this particular point, and it's going to take generational investments to get us out of it. We need to close Rikers Island. We need to build a smaller borough-based jail that is centered on the humanity of those who have to be detained and for those who have to work there. We need to make sure that services are available to people when they're in there, and most of all, we need to make sure we're providing an off-ramp with intensive wraparound services for people who come into contact with the criminal justice system so that we could stop the cycle of incarceration. So explain this to me, please. And we are talking with Stanley Richards, who is the deputy chief executive officer of the Fortune Society. Why are people dying within the system? Why are people committing suicide within the system? When you are incarcerated, there are few options you have. One is either you're predator or prey. Two, you either go into survival mode or you go into hopeless mode. And when you see suicides and when you see massive drug overdoses, you're seeing the sense of hopelessness, the sense of things in my life aren't going to change, There's things aren't going to get better, and so why do I continue? And just like all of us in the community, every day we get up and we fight our way through our life experience. When you are incarcerated and you are isolated and there is no sense of people caring, there is no sense of connection to the community, you build a sense of hopelessness. And when people are hopeless, they go to the worst place and they go to the things that they think will give them the most peace. And unfortunately, suicide becomes an option. Unfortunately, violence becomes an option. Unfortunately, drug use becomes an option because they are trying to escape the horrors of their experience. And so that's one of the reasons why we said we need to close Rikers and build the borough-based jails. Rikers is out of sight, out of mind. People don't think about it. It is a blip on the New York City map system. People don't hear about Rikers. They don't think about Rikers. But they are real lives both from officers and from incarcerated people that are impacted by that system. You know, Mr. Mr. Richards, this is why I wanted to speak with you, because I've never thought about it from the perspective of what you just said in the last minute about people losing their spirit, losing their hope and giving up. And so you, you bring a very unique 
expertise to this problem. For anyone not familiar with the Fortune Society, talk to me about your nonprofit organization. And when you say assisting justice involved individuals, that means individuals that have served time. What, what exactly does that mean? Thank you for asking, Dominic. It's a broad definition. Someone who may have served time, someone who was arrested, anybody that was touched by the system of incarceration and the judicial system. And so, as I said, we see about 9,000 people a year. We've created a multiple point of entry service organization. We provide everything from licensed mental health services, licensed drug treatment, employment services, education, family reunification, food and nutrition. We provide a safe space for people to do the transformative work that they need to do to turn their lives around. We describe our mission as seeing the beauty in people before they see it in themselves. And our job, when they walk through our door, is to say, it doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter how long you served. We're not judging you based on what you did or where you've been. What we see is the beauty and the potential in you. And our job is to hold that image true until you begin to, one, see it in yourself, two, begin to live it, and three, begin to own it. And we've seen the transformative power of hope. We've seen the transformative power of community and and healing from trauma. We've seen the powerful effects of that. And what we have been saying to the city and what we have been saying to the nation is the time to change it is now. We have been down this road with massive incarceration for decades. It hasn't brought us safer communities. It hasn't brought us thriving communities. It hasn't brought us thriving families. It has been traumatic for the families. It's been traumatic for the communities. And it has been damaging to the people who cycle in and out. And the time to stop it is now. And we can do it. We are bold enough. We are committed enough. And we are smart enough to make it happen. We are chatting with Stanley Richards, the Deputy Chief Executive Officer of the Fortune Society. I'm wrapping up here. I only got another minute or two left here. I know that the Fortune Society provides permanent supportive housing, but what are the services people most need when they come to you initially, immediately? There's like a handful of services that people need to begin the process. One is housing, as you just described, and we've been providing supportive reentry housing. Two is a job, economic stability. They need to be able to earn a living. They need to be able to see that they can contribute to themselves, their family, and their community. Three, if they have an addiction, they need to manage their addiction through treatment and support groups. Four, if it's mental illness, they need to get involved in mental health care to either get medication or get the treatment that they need to stabilize themselves. When those things happen, it is the foundation for people to change their lives. And then the fifth piece is family reunification, the kind of healing that needs to happen between individuals who are coming home and their families, making sure that families have the resources to welcome people home so that the family doesn't have an additional stressor, and making sure that individual has the communication skills to be able to talk to their family about their experience of incarceration and the kind of trauma that they had to live through and the way that they had to go through survival survival mode and now coming into a family to change out of survival mode into thriving mode. And so we provide those services at Fortune Society and we make a lifetime commitment because this isn't a switch. It's not like you turn off a switch 
and all of the experiences of incarceration go away. We need to make long-term investments, build strong communities, and focus on the people. I close this way. Where And thank you for joining us on the podcast. Where can our listeners go to learn more about you? Because you have a remarkable life story yourself. And I mean, you are the sheer definition of turning a negative into a positive all the way to being acknowledged by uh, the former president of the United States. But where can we find out more about you and the work of the Fortune Society? You can go to the Fortune Society website, www.fortunesociety.org. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, sign up for our newsletter, We do a lot of policy work, and we try to educate the public about the realities of our criminal justice policies and offer solutions to bring about safer communities, healthier communities, and thriving communities. Stanley Richards, the Deputy Chief Executive Officer at the Fortune Society, thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. And man, I am really on a personal level impressed with you, your dedication, your work, and how you're trying to help others. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Dominique. And thank you for elevating this conversation. We need to be having a conversation about it, and then we need to be able to take action. And it's voices like you, it's, it's perspectives like yours that will allow us to continue to have this conversation. So thank you. Again, Stanley Richards of the Fortune Society. In 2014, Mr. Richards was recognized by the Obama administration as a champion of change for his commitment to helping individuals impacted by the justice system going forward. I will stay on top of the situation at Rikers. And that brings this segment to a close. Folks, if you are interested in my book on my life growing up in New York City and overcoming numerous obstacles or my bobblehead doll, you can go to my website, DominicCarterOnline.com. All one word, DominicCarterOnline.com. You can catch me on 77 WABC weeknights midnight to 1 a.m. Go check out the Dominic Carter merchandise at the 77 WABC store from Dominic Carter t-shirts to hats and much more. Go to WABCRadioStore.com. Dominic Carter, Red Apple Podcast, 77 WABC. Dominic Carter Socials on Twitter at Dominic TV and Facebook and Instagram. Dominic Carter TV. Email at Dominic.Carter at WABCRadio.com. Until the next episode, be well. And as Dominic always says, stay positive. The glass is always half full, never half empty. Dominic Carter City Hall. City Hall.